Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what it is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the confidence of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came in and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name's Jeff, and we are continuing our series through the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings. Um, if you are in a small group, a grace group, um, if you're not, I encourage you to join one, and we'll also be studying the book of Ephesians in more depth at our uh, weekly meetings. Um, last week, Pastor Daniel, he looked at the the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and there we saw really the before and after pictures that Paul paints for us as individuals who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you might remember the before picture uh, was about as ugly and hopeless as it can get. Paul described us as being dead in our trespasses and sins. He described us as being unable to respond to the things of God, um, and, and rather than seeking God, we were spiritual corpses. We were dead. And then Daniel showed us there came a turning point that's marked by two of the most beautiful words in all the Bible, but God. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 reads, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now in verse 10, Paul goes on and he describes the after for all of us that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Ephesians 1.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before we look into God's word, let's open in prayer. 
Father in heaven, Abba, Father, we come before you, Lord, by your Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would join us here today, that you would breathe life into all that takes place in this service. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts, Lord, to embrace your truth and your grace and your Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us. Lord, that you would work deep within our hearts and make us a little more like your son. And we ask this in all, all of this, Lord, in his name. Amen. Now, at the risk of dating myself, does anyone recall which company it was that had an advertising jingle that said, quality is job one? Where did I hear? Ford. I think that's right. Is it Ford? Yes. Ding, ding. Now, some Chevy owners might consider that false advertising, but we'll leave that up to the uh, car experts in our midst. I'm certainly not a car expert. Now, if I was to summarize the second half of Ephesians 2 that we're going to look at, at today, if I was to make that into a catchy jingle, I might describe Paul's central focus here with the words, unity is job one, or better yet, reconciliation is job one. Now, we'll see tonight, we'll see here this morning that our God, he doesn't merely save us so that we can walk around in heaven carefully avoiding those people that we really couldn't stand in this life. We just sort of, plenty of room in heaven, we don't need to cross paths with them. No, our God has not only saved us, but he is in the business of tearing down all kinds of walls and barriers and bringing true unity and reconciliation among the human beings that he has called to be his own, that he has adopted for all eternity as his children. Now, as we travel through this section of Ephesians, I think we'll see that God's definition of reconciliation is above and beyond anything we might have expected. The reconciliation that God is bringing about is far more deep, it is far more intimate and far more profound than we could ever imagine. So let's jump in with verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul begins this section with the word therefore, and this connects it to the first half of chapter 2 that we looked at last Sunday. Now, notice that twice Paul encourages us to remember. And what is it that he wants us to remember? Paul is talking here about our before condition, before we were made alive in Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, I'm starting to think, come on, Paul. Enough already. We talked about our before condition. We were in bad shape. We get it. Can we now move on to chapter 3 and just get on with our lives? But I think it's important to remember here 
that there are two authors who wrote the book of Ephesians. The human author was Paul, but the primary author was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit breathed every word that Paul wrote down, breathed that through his servant, the Apostle Paul. And so apparently, the Holy Spirit knew it would be in our best interest as followers of Christ if we often considered where we came from before we came to know Jesus Christ. God knows that our appreciation of our salvation only deepens when we remember how far he has brought us and how high he has raised us to seat us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now again, though there are similarities with verses 1 through 10, Paul here is describing the before picture of a very specific group of people. And in verse 11, he names that group as the Gentiles. Now, in Paul's day, there were two very distinct groups of people on planet Earth, the Jews and the Gentiles. A Gentile was very simply anyone who was not Jewish. That was a Gentile. That made you a Gentile. Now, a Gentile... Um, when, when Christ walked this earth, the Gentiles and Jews, the division and, and the hatred between these two groups was about as intense as it could get. Now, the Jews absolutely hated the Gentiles. There, there was a common Jewish prayer in those days, and it went something like this, God, I thank you that I was not born a woman or a dog or a Gentile. Now, that, that's a pretty cold-blooded attitude to have towards all those groups. But to be fair to the Jews, there were numerous Gentiles who did tend to live down to their reputation. Now, many Gentiles, they lived this sort of in-your-face lifestyle, particular to anyone that was concerned about, about God, the things of God, or, or for personal holiness. There, there were some Jewish rabbis who even taught that the only reason God created Gentiles was that they might be used as fuel for the fires of hell. So many Jews, they, they, particularly the rabbis, they looked at Gentiles and they saw them as human prestologues. Now, Paul also reminds us that the Gentiles were known as uncircumcised, while the Jews called themselves the circumcision. Now, this term, uncircumcision, it would certainly not be politically correct in our day. It was a, a, a title or, or, uh, that was really a racial slur. It was a term of hatred. It was a term of disgust. So the Gentiles' horizontal relationship with the Jews was one thing, and it was, it was very bad. It was very intense and, and very much separated with this common hatred. But... Paul also describes the vertical relationship of the Gentiles to God himself. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, that's a pretty sad description. The main words Paul uses to describe the Gentiles in his day are separated from God, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God. Now, when I hear that, it's no wonder that the Gentiles lived, many of them lived with no concern for God. They had no hope for a future. So it was 
they, they were shut off from God, and, and why not go for the gusto? Why not, why not eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? They really had no motivation to, to seek to live a holy life. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now last week, the words, but God, marked the division, the dividing line between the before and the after. And here, the words, but now, do the same thing. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So Paul, he reminds the Gentiles that they were far off, they were without hope, they were without God. Now think about it. This describes each one of us before we came to Christ. But now, only because of Christ Jesus, we have been brought near to God. Pastor Daniel taught us last week that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Jesus Christ. Through the shedding of his blood, his innocent, precious, pure blood, Jesus Christ has raised us up to be seated with him in the heavenly places. And what a needed reminder this is. If God can save a Gentile like me, believe me, he can save anybody. And, and I need to remember that. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, when I read that Jesus Christ has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, one of the first things that popped into my head was the Berlin Wall. And if you're an older person like me, or if you like history and you've watched the videos, picture President Reagan standing before that ugly man-made wall in Berlin and he says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But that illustration breaks down because there's a not so subtle difference between the Berlin Wall and the wall of hostility that Paul is speaking of. The Berlin Wall separated East Germany from West Germany, East Berlin from West Berlin, but there were people on both sides of that wall that wanted to get together. There were people that whose families had been torn apart at the end of World War II, and now they longed to be reunited. But this dividing wall that Paul speaks of between the Jews and the Gentiles, it's a wall of mutual hatred and hostility. They have no interest in the wall coming down. They have no desire to be reunited with the Gentiles on the other side. These two groups, they can't stand one another. They wanted nothing to do with each other. Yet Jesus Christ, by his blood, has torn down that wall. He shed his blood to tear down barriers between us and other human beings. Now, 
Like an imposing wall, many of those commandments and the ordinances of the Mosaic law, they had served to separate the Jewish people from the Gentile world. But when Christ gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice at Calvary, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, through his life of perfect obedience to his Father, when Jesus Christ took on human flesh and walked this earth, he led that life in perfect, unbroken obedience to his Father. He perfectly followed the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law. And through that and through his death and resurrection, he fulfilled the old covenant, and now he brings forth the new covenant for both Jews and Gentiles. The new covenant is about many peoples from many nations across this entire planet. Now notice in verse 14, Paul says, for he himself, referring to Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace. So Paul isn't merely saying that Jesus has brought peace to all Jews and Gentiles who are in Christ. He's not saying that through a counseling program or by being example, he's teaching us to figure out how to get along better with one another. No, he tells us he himself is our peace who has made us both one. So Paul's giving us some insight here, I think, into the profound intimacy that God shares with all those who have been saved and adopted into God's family as his children. Now, you may have noticed the last few weeks in Ephesians, um, in chapter 1 and 2, there's a two-word phrase that comes up roughly 17 times. In one form or another, that phrase is, in Christ. Paul sometimes writes in him, sometimes he writes in the beloved, or again he'll write in Christ. And when he does that, he's describing the beautiful, deep intimacy that we share with our Savior once we are saved by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, even more incredibly than us being in Christ is that Christ is in us as well. That's the depth of intimacy we have with him. Paul speaks to this reality in Colossians 1.27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we experience peace with other believers, not so much because he teaches us how to get along more peacefully, but more so because Jesus is our peace. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. And the more we draw close to him, the more we follow him, the more we yield our life to him, we will experience much deeper peace, not only individually, but more peace with people who perhaps we consider our enemies or we haven't gotten along with or that there's a wall of difference and hostility and misunderstanding and unforgiveness between us. In verse 15, in Christ, he made one new man in place of the two. And in verse 16, he reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. 
So Paul is talking about this mystery of the body of Christ and how all who are in Christ, whether formerly Jews or Gentiles, are all now equal parts of one body. Paul is showing us how Christ brought peace between these two mutually hateful groups. He combined the two of them in him, he brought them together in Christ, and he created a whole new group of people known as the body of Christ. Now, the Bible has several other names it uses for the body of Christ, such as the family of God, the people of God, the elect, the bride of Christ, the company of the redeemed, the communion of saints, the new Israel. So, so the body of Christ, it's the Christian church. It's, it's made up of all those who are in Christ, who follow him as their Lord and Savior. And as members of the body of Christ, we should share a deep and real peace with one another. And when Paul speaks of reconciliation, he's not only telling us that that's a reality, he's exhorting us to seek that reconciliation, to work towards that. Ephesians 2.17, and he, Jesus Christ, he came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, I, I think Paul here, he wants to make sure that his readers who come from a Jewish background, he doesn't want them to get big heads as he's describing what a terrible place the Gentiles came from, how far they were from God, how separated they were from Israel. And, and this really was a very radical doctrine that Paul is laying out here. He says that the Jews and Gentiles both need to be saved in the same exact way. He says, through him, Jesus Christ, through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by the Spirit. No one, Jew or Gentile, comes to the Father but by Christ and by the Spirit of God. And this was not an easy thing for the Jews to swallow. Imagine you're an only child, your father loves you deeply. The two of you live in a beautiful house. And one day, your dad brings home this dirty, smelly, foul-mouthed kid. And he announces, I've adopted him. Meet your brother. And he brings him into the house. And he gives him all the rights and privileges that you've been experiencing your whole life with your dad. And it's, it's so bad even that he tells this new adopted son, you can pick the top bunk or the bottom bunk. You're going to be sleeping with your brother. And Paul knows that for the Jews, this reality is hard, hard to swallow. What a change. And so Paul is trying to, to ease them into their new reality by gently reminding them even if you were born Jewish, even if you followed the law, even if you've gone to the temple, it doesn't matter. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and embrace him, embrace him by the Spirit. So the Jews had been nearer than the Gentiles. They had the prophets, they had the priests, they had Abraham, they had Moses, they had David. 
yet they still needed to receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Now, so just like the Gentiles, until they came to Christ, they were dead in their sins. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, in Paul's day, the cornerstone was the first stone that would be laid in the construction of a building that would be made out of many stones. And the cornerstone, getting that just right, was critical because every other stone that was added to that building would be aligned off of the cornerstone. So if the cornerstone was crooked, tilted one way, you're going to end up with the leaning tower of Pisa. But, so that cornerstone had to be perfectly placed, perfectly level. And if you think about it, Christ as cornerstone, as believers, we have the calling, we have the privilege, we have the honor of aligning our lives with the cornerstone, aligning our lives with Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful reality. And he goes on in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we allow the Holy Spirit to, to align our thoughts and our deeds and, and our motivations with the cornerstone, with Jesus Christ through the Word of God, we are playing our part in a massive building project, a massive construction process that is going to continue every day, day in and day out, until our Lord returns in glory and takes us home to be with him forever. Now, we initially became a part of this construction process, a part of this project, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But Paul tells us this, once we are saved, the building process continues. He tells us, if you look at the word here, he says the church grows into the holy temple in the Lord. We are being joined together, and we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul, in the last four verses of this passage we're looking at today, he's, he's summing up much of what he's been teaching us since verse 11. But in these last four verses, he takes it a step further and he reveals the big picture to us, giving us a glimpse of, of the mystery of what God is doing in every believer, with every man and woman who has ever or will ever be brought to faith in Jesus Christ. So let's read again these four verses. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. Now earlier I said that the reconciliation that God is bringing, that he's bringing about in the body of Christ is, is deeper, it's more intimate and more profound than anything we would ever imagine. 
And notice in verse 21, Paul describes the body of Christ as a holy temple in the Lord. And then in verse 22, as a dwelling place for God. Now, when Paul says we're a holy temple in the Lord, is, he, is this a metaphor? Is he just being metaphorical? And when he says that we are a dwelling place of God, is he just using hyperbole? Is he waxing eloquent in, in an attempt to capture the majesty of what God is doing? I don't think so. Here and in many places in the scripture, it's clear that Paul means exactly what he says. All believers, all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are part of the temple of God. And this temple is light years beyond any temple that was built by human hands, including the temple that Solomon built, light years ahead of it. So before Christ came, before he took on human flesh and he visited this planet, man-made temples, though they were built under the direction of God and though they were built to honor God, they were merely shadows of the ultimate reality that was coming. The sacrifices of the various animals on the altar, they saved no one, but were instead symbols that pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice that would become. It was the Old Testament saints, it was through faith in the coming Messiah and therefore through the blood of Christ that he would shed at Calvary that they were saved before Christ came and after his sacrifice reaches both ways. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he died on the cross at Calvary in our place for our sin. And then he rose from the dead on the third day so that anyone who believes would not perish but have eternal life. Our God has not only saved us as individuals, but he is building us together into his temple. And one way he accomplishes that is by tearing down all kinds of walls and barriers and bringing true unity and true reconciliation among human beings. Reconciliation is a central part of his plan for us. Now Paul is teaching us that all who have put their hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all who are in Christ are actually an intimate part of the true temple along with God himself. And the temple of God is being built and expanded by the Spirit of God. So every time a person who is far off, a person who is without God, Every time a person like that recognizes their sin, recognizes their need of a Savior, and they're brought to faith in Jesus Christ, the temple of God, this building project, expands again. It expands every time someone comes in. When you were saved, the temple of God grew a little more, and it's growing still to this day. Now, when we speak of reconciliation, and we could spend... A series on this but we won't but briefly there's a vertical aspect to God's reconciliation but there's a horizontal aspect as well so first the vertical we must be reconciled to God and it is through the blood of Christ that happens when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior 
we are reconciled to the Father because prior to knowing him, we are actually under the wrath of God. And now we're friends of God. We're children of God adopted into his family for all eternity. But there's also a horizontal plane to God's reconciliation. And he even tells us elsewhere in the scriptures that we are given the ministry of reconciliation. And this is a horizontal plane where we point to others who are apart from God, others that don't yet know him, and we point to God and we share the gospel. We show them the love of Christ and we, we seek that they would be reconciled to God ultimately. But there's also reconciling to others in the family of God as well. If we were to be honest, we all have some individual in our life, at least, I, well, I can only say this for myself, but people that I might tend to see them up ahead and sort of veer slightly to the right and avoid them. And that is an affront to the gospel and it's affront to the heart of God. God calls us to reconcile with all believers and unbelievers alike. And we need to be in that business. It needs to be job one for each one of us as children of God. Now, Paul also wrote of this in his second letter, the church at Corinth. And I'll close. Don't you love those words? I'll close. Such, such great words. I'll close by reading his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you chose to reveal yourself to us through nature, through our consciences, Lord, and of course, mainly through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that though we were far off, though we were without hope in the world, though we were sinners in rebellion against you, Lord, you loved us so much that you sent your son to be mocked, to be whipped, to be nailed to a cross, to die in our place, Lord, for our sin, that we might be adopted into your family. And Lord, I just pray that, um, Father, those of us that are in Christ, that know you, that you would remind us daily, Lord, to look to those people that we need to reconcile with, those people that need to be reconciled to God, but also those people that we just need to reconcile with, Lord. Make our hearts like your sons towards others. Help us, Lord, to be about the business of tearing down walls and barriers.
Bring healing, Lord. Bring reconciliation. Bring peace. And Father, if there is anyone in this room who is apart from you, who doesn't yet know you, Lord, I pray that your spirit right now would touch their heart and birth faith in their heart to believe and to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.